Scott, and joining me this week, the cheese to my chef, it's Brian. Hey, Brian. Hey, Scott. How you doing tonight? I am doing mighty fine. It's been an interesting week, and I've been looking forward to getting back with you to resume our discussion of all the TV that we've been catching up on over the last few months. How have you been doing? I have been busy, but well, and ready to talk about this veritable plethora of shows that uh, that are out there in the streaming world and people are devouring so let's get to it i i do appreciate the use of the word plethora uh <laughs> you know what um i was gonna do something else first but I, I i can i can i can um what's what's that legal phrase you guys like i can sidebar that for later is that the, is that the right way to yeah say i can sidebar that f- till the end because that's usually where we do the the more extraneous information let's get right to why people are listening and that's to hear us talk about television and we were covering uh different streaming services last time around and i think we left off just before we were about to hit uh the big d which would be <laughs> no that's my nickname in high school no um <laughs> We're talking about Disney Plus. Um, I'm actually going to start this one off because it's something that literally came out within the last 24 hours. I know you haven't seen it yet, so it's going to be brief and it's going to be spoiler free. So nobody worry. You don't need to skip ahead a few minutes. But I do want to mention that they just released um, Werewolf by Night on Disney Plus. It's significant for a few reasons. Um, Number one. It's directed by Michael Giacchino, which is the first time he's actually been giving the director reins for something, because he's mostly known for his amazing musical score work and everything from TV shows like Lost to various films and whether it be Pixar or superhero movies or any number of things. He actually got to direct this. Um, I think it is a very well-directed piece. It's very it's very short. It's about 50-odd minutes. Um, it's in black and white, and you know I'm a sucker for black and white. And if you are someone who is very familiar with Marvel Comics, especially of a specific era, uh, the era known as the Bronze Age or the 1970s, um, you probably already have more of an interest in watching this because that's really where I think most people are familiar with, uh, most comic book-related people are familiar with Werewolf by Night from, although I'm sure the character has existed ever since then. I'm not saying it hasn't. Um, this I won't spoil this. I'll just say there is another character who shows up in this who that I was not I was I was glad to see. I was like, oh, instantly recognizable. Also a character I associate with Marvel more from the 70s than from any other era. So it's a lot of fun. Um one can even sort of try to make connections to how this fits into the uh MCU overall. They don't really hit you over the head with anything. But there are certain little things one can say, oh, this kind of reminds me, or it could be a little bit of a connection to 
say, I don't know, Blade, for example, since that's also a character in the Marvel Universe that lends itself more towards horror. And there's a character in this who looks like he might be, you know, you know, Blade Jr. or something. I don't know. Then again, there's a character who I probably should know who it's supposed to be. I kept thinking, is that supposed to be David Bowie? I'm not sure. I think it's Doug Jones. Um, (laughs) and, And Bowie was Davy Jones. Maybe it is him. I don't know. Um, but overall, it's actually it's it's actually very enjoyable, and it reminded me of hey, you can tell it a complete story and finish it within fifty something minutes, as opposed to dragging out for six episodes, <laughs> which I could see them having drugged this out for several episodes. I like that they compressed it all into one episode, so it's a lot of fun. You guys should check it out. Yeah, it's a surprise that I don't pe- think people knew uh, was coming, so I haven't checked it out yet. But I'll be doing that this weekend. Excellent. So that leads us a couple other Marvel shows to talk about. Um, we'll touch on one briefly because it came out several, well, not several, but a, a few months ago. Um, that would be Ms. Marvel. Um, I was initially turned off by, I don't know if it was the promotions for it, or maybe I watched a few minutes when I was really tired and I was like, oh, this isn't for me. Um, and then I gave it another chance like a couple months later. Someone told me something that I needed to see, that, according to them, that takes place in the series. I was like, okay, I'll give it another shot. And I was glad I did. I think I think it's really a well-done piece of work. It's a, it's a coming-of-age story. And I, I think and I think the main character, the main star of it, um, you know, I think her name's Iman Vellani. She plays the character Kamala Khan. Uh, I think she's got, like, just a nice star quality about her. And she's just, you know, she's just fun to watch on screen. So I was pleasantly surprised by it, quite frankly. Yeah. It, it sort of uh, reminded me of shows I didn't watch because they probably weren't of this quality, but it sort of reminded me of, of like the sort of Nickelodeon family shows of the, you know, of our youth and uh, the family dynamic uh, and it's nice. I like that it it tells the story of a young girl navigating school relationships, her family, uh, with the Marvel stuff, you know, in it. But uh, yeah, I, I think it's a it's a nice thing to give to the younger fans. Uh, and uh, it, and it, it doesn't mean that as an adult you wouldn't enjoy it. You should check it out. It's it's well done. It's heartfelt, and uh, I agree with Scott. I think the uh, actress really uh really surprises with her ability to carry the show yeah i mean she's going to now co-star with brie larson and and others in the upcoming i guess it would one could call it a sequel to the captain marvel movie i think this one's just simply called the marvels if i'm not mistaken um because you'll have a few uh people in it who have the marvel name in their in their superhero surname um since marvel ripped it off of shazam never mind anyway (laughs) sorry can't help it but um that 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 makes me want to see that a bit more than i originally would have um but yeah it's just it's slight but it's fun it's nice now speaking of fun Let's zip right over to the one that people have been talking a lot about over the last few weeks, or several weeks for that matter, and that would be She-Hulk, Attorney at Law. So, now, 
normally we, as once we introduce a title of a show, we start talking about, you know, what we like or dislike about it, the characters, but I feel this is one of those elephant in the room kind of shows. So let's, I'd, I'd rather, you know, put a, uh, I was going to say put a bullet in the elephant, but then it makes me sound like a Trump supporter when I say that, or Trump son, if, at least. Let, let, let's, I want to deal with that first. Cause that's, apparently that's what you have to do nowadays, because every fan base for every, you know, form of geekdom out there has to have, you know, a segment which is just embarrasses everybody else. And Marvel's no different than DC or Game of Thrones or Lord of the Rings or any of them. And we talked about this before, so I won't belabor that point. But with She-Hulk, um, and it's funny that the show w- knew this was going to happen because they incorporated things into the show which riff on the social media types out there who immediately rip on and dump th- dump on things, you know, for the most ludicrous of reasons, um, which generally only make themselves look like the most pathetic Cheeto dust blowing incels of all time. But here, some of the commentary we've seen and when, within the first few episodes of She-Hulk, it was people who clearly have never read a She-Hulk story, but forget that because I've never read a She-Hulk story, but I've seen the covers for dozens of She-Hulk comic books. So I already knew what, the, what she was about. I've, I've known that for years. These people either did have, have willfully tried not to. She-Hulk has always been a treated as a character with a significant amount of comedy. She's been breaking the fourth wall before there was... I think she was breaking the fourth wall before there was a Deadpool, quite frankly. Um, so to act in any way like that was... Like that was, you know, some sort of heinous thing they were doing on this TV series. Like, no, that's what the character is. Yes, she's appeared in other comics that and been treated as a straight character as far as, you know, you know, humor wise. But in her own comic, it was very comedy tinge. Have you seen the covers? I mean, are you, are you kidding me? Um, so for them to act like, Oh my God, she's twerking. It's just the worst thing we've ever seen. It's like, I don't know. Did you see the Eternals? Um, uh, but, <laughs> but also, that's right in line with what that character has been for decades now plus it was fun please that also and i'm gonna sidetrack myself right in here people getting too caught up in commenting on cgi this has been a thing that i've gotten tired of for years now um now look obviously when you see cgi special effects done in either a television show or a movie um one can say um, when the CGI, when, when the object or the character or the creature doesn't seem to have enough weight to it, so to speak, it, you can kind of tell. But then again, whenever you're watching these things, you already know it's CGI from the get go. So it always seems to be like, oh, what? It doesn't look quite real enough for you. I'm sorry. Does that mean you can't watch the last 90 years worth of movies or TV shows because they all look fakey fake to you now? I, I don't understand it. There were shots in the most recent episode that I thought, oh, that didn't look, that wasn't, that didn't look perfect. But you know what? They're not, they also didn't spend $250 million on this episode either. So it, it looks, for the most part, I think it looks fine. Sometimes it looks really good. Are there little things that look a little, like I say, light, so to speak? Yeah, but it's forgivable because 
that's not what's most important about what I'm watching. And it's not like it looks bad. It's not, look, I've, I've watched CW shows for years now. I've sat through really badly done computer graphics on the flash and things like this. This is a thousand times better than that. Stop looking for things to complain about. Look at the show for the performances, the stories, the jokes, whatever. Don't comment on the freaking you know, five seconds of CGI when she's walking through a doorway or something like that. Brian, I'll let you, I'll let you talk now. I'm sorry. Oh, I, I, I think the show uh, is delightful. It is short. Every episode uh, goes by in a flash, and it is funny. It's uh, It doesn't take itself too seriously. Um, but it does explore the issues of being a female superhero and a female professional. Uh, so I think it walks a, a nice balance between addressing issues in a way that's not preachy or uh, overbearing, but also has a has a nice lilt. And, you know, uh, Tatiana Maslany is just wonderful in the role. I think the the conversion of her the person to She Hulk, you know, I, I think it looks great, and uh, the things they do with perspective to make her look bigger than people, uh, they're always trying to find creative ways to remind you, you know, that she's big and powerful. Uh, but it it it's it's been a surprise. I think the initial reaction was to expect this to not be that great. Uh, but I think it's been pretty great. I've found it infinitely enjoyable. I mean, as you mentioned, uh, Maslani in my mind can pretty much do almost no wrong. So, and I, I, I love the dichotomy between the Jennifer Walters and the She-Hulk persona and, and how they've kind of utilized that here. Um, I mean, some of the supporting players are, eh, they're fine. They're, they're nothing great, whatever. But um, she really is, you know, carrying the show very well herself, which is fine by me. Um, I enjoy the little twists and turns that we've gotten when they incorporate, you know, little things from the rest of the Marvel Universe or characters that we've even seen before, which leads us to the one that we've been waiting for because they teased it in the teaser for the show before it ever got released. And then you had all these people whining, why haven't they gotten a Daredevil yet? So they finally got the Daredevil this week. I love that there are people out there who are upset about it. It, you know, you have no idea how happy that makes me. <laughs> or maybe you do have some idea. Because, oh my God, you know what they did? They gave Daredevil a sense of humor. Daredevil got to have sex. <laughs> oh no. Oh no. How could they do that? Hey, guess what? If he was like that on his own show, I wouldn't have come down on the show as much as I did for two thirds of the of the episodes that were on Netflix. This was what I wanted. This was the Daredevil I wanted. For all the fact that they also went with a depiction of what his ori- original outfit looked like when he, when Daredevil first came to be in the nineteen sixties, even though I think he only had it for like three issues, but still, it's it's kind of for comic book people, it's kind of iconic, as opposed to the awful things he was wearing on his own show. I, I, I couldn't understand. I love the chemistry between Charlie Cox and Tashiana Maslany. You know, it, it was more, <laughs> it was more law 
lawyering from Matt Murdock on this than I really got to ever see him do on Daredevil, it felt like. It's like, are you sure he's a lawyer? Um, I enjoyed it immensely. I, 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 this last episode I thought was really strong. Um, especially I love the gag of, isn't this over? <laughs> Wait, doesn't it feel like this episode is over? There's more, there's more. And then the, the turn that the episode takes, which is really, you know, it's, it's, I'm not saying it's, it's a million dollar baby like turn, but it certainly, the tone certainly changes. Uh, it, it's a really, I think it's a lot of fun. I really like the show a lot. I'm, I'm, and I, I will admit, it, it, it's like when, when Hawkeye came out, I didn't have high expectations for it, and I ended up liking it a whole lot. I had, the only thing I, I was looking forward to with this series was, I was curious to see Maslani in this role, but I didn't care about that character or anything else at all. Now I do. So, you know, well done, Kevin Feige and Marvel, I, I, I say. Yeah, and I think I complained uh, at a previous podcast that I think that we're all getting a little bit of Marvel fatigue, um, that some of the more recent Marvel movies haven't hit it out of the park. Uh, this is a really nice short weekly burst that's funny. And, and that this is the perfect prescription to what I think the bloat that has sort of plagued Marvel's universe the last maybe year or so, maybe two years. Yeah, I can go along with that. So speaking of massive multi-billion dollar franchises that are, which is what Disney plus is all about. Cause that's what Disney is. That leaves us the, the, the current uh, star Wars tangentially related show that's on now. And that would be Andor. It was funny when they first announced the, the show coming called Andor. I was like, wait, is it Endor? Isn't that where all the, uh, the Ewoks were? It's like, no, Andor. It's like, Andor, is, is that like the negative universe version of that? It's like, no, it's a character. It's like, well, couldn't they have come up with a character that didn't sound like the planet from Eternity? Oh, whatever. Anyway, <laughs> it turns out it's the character um, that Diego Luna uh, portrayed that we saw in Rogue One, the movie that practically everybody else other than me really loved. No, I'm just kidding. I, I like the movie. I liked it. I just think it was I just is one of those I thought was a little overrated at the time, but I think I like it more now in retrospect. But he, he's a character, Cassian Andor. I did not know what his name was, by the way. Um, this is another one of those shows which seems to have gotten some a lot of negative feedback or pushback from people, be it critics or more just general viewers. And... I'm I'm just vaguely aware of it from what I what I am aware of it. I don't really agree with the bulk of it. I haven't you know I haven't read any professional critics' opinions on it. I haven't read Alan Seppenwall talk about it because I click on his review and it's a subscription for Rolling Stone for me to read it, so I can only read like the first two sentences, so I don't bother with the stuff anymore. Um, I my feeling on the show is this. I am properly engaged. I like that it's a mature story. I, especially because I have not been a big fan of the previous two Star Wars TV shows that they've done. Um, Boba Fett has its moments, but overall, is it really good? No. Obi-Wan has a few, mo uh, a couple moments, but do I really like it? I, I didn't. I'm sorry. I, I didn't hate it, but you know, put it this way. It ain't making my top 10 at 20 at the end of the year. Let's put it that way. 
Um, I don't think this is going to either, quite frankly. But at least I'm, I'm just like, okay, I'm not really sure where they're going with this. I'm, in, I'm intrigued by it. You know, I'm wondering why we're spending so much time with certain other characters. But I keep thinking there's going to be a. I'm, I'm assuming there's going to be a payoff for this, so I'm being patient with it. You know, because I mean, whether it be the guy, the the schmuck from the uh, the security people who lost his job, or the the imperial woman who's working for the for the empire who's trying trying to still pursue this whole situation, I'm more curious about him because it's surprising that we're we're still sticking with that character. So I keep wondering where that's going to go because otherwise, why are we doing that? I just I just think they're giving us character. And I find that very interesting, which is more than I'm used to getting in, in some Star Wars movies. And they're spending time with characters that I didn't expect. And, and, and by doing that, they're making them feel less one-dimensional than usually, you know, quote-unquote villains would be, for example. The more time we spend with that one guy, the more interesting I'm finding him. And the more, you know, there's a certain sadness to him. We don't normally get that. I, I, I'm hard pressed to think of that from another Star Wars thing that didn't that, that didn't require like nine movies to get there. <laughs> what, what, what are you thinking about this so far? Um, it's an adult story telling stories behind the sort of behind the curtain of the Star Wars universe and focusing in on the lives of people who we've never seen in this universe before. Um, the thing I really like is seeing, you know, like, like now we know the, the relationship between, you know, the, the budding empire and corporations and, and how workers are treated and going in and seeing some of those little bits and pieces of how this society and how this empire, uh, operates in different places, other than just being stormtroopers, we're seeing actual, you know, officers, human beings, ruling councils, um, and giving it a little bit of detail with an adult story and not a simple, not a simple story and drilling in on all these people and giving them mystery. I mean, each of those characters, the thing you described is there's a mystery right now about all those characters, uh, you know, what is the importance of the security guard? What is the importance of the, the senator? What is the importance? Um, and, and I have to say, uh, this, is a, this is a departure for Disney to give the reins to, you know, a previous dramatic uh, writer uh, to let Tony Gilroy participate. So, you know... Uh, to indulge him in a way that I think Disney would have said this is too long and ponderous and not enough shooting and not enough action to, to let him go and ply his craft. And if you don't know who Tony Gilroy is, go watch Michael Clayton. Uh, uh, wonderful, wonderful uh, movie. Uh, and, and letting him indulge uh, his storytelling. I, I, I enjoy it. I can't say I love it because I don't know where it's going. And there are times that are slow, but I appreciate the attempt to do something different than what we've seen. I, I just knew you had to drop in the Michael Clayton thing. Cause you know, it's about a lawyer. So, <laughs> He's more of a fixer. He just happens to be a lawyer. Right. Um, if there was, if I was going to have, I don't even know if I mean this to be a criticism exactly. And 
and I'll tell you something again. I haven't been able to read anything like Sepinwall said about it, but I bet this is something that probably would bother him. Um, cause I'm seeing it with this show there. It doesn't feel like the episodes were, were written and created to be fit a normal episodic format. It feels like this is a movie, a very long movie, and we're giving you, here's the first half hour of it. Here's the next 32 minutes of it. Here's an, or however long the episodes are. Here's another four. Because, of the, because there, we, we, you don't have that feeling at the end of it where, okay, it just came to a close. Or, oh, here's it. Oh, oh, now I got to watch the next one. You know what I mean? I'm not getting that sensation from it. Compared to, like, any of the previous either Star Wars shows or just shows in general. It just, I, and I'm just become so acutely aware of that. And I'm not saying that's why it, it's hard. I don't know if it's a criticism exactly. Um, and maybe it's because of, you know, I haven't looked at what Gilroy's, if, if he's done other episodes, if he's ever done episodic television beyond the, the movies or plays or whatever he's done, he might've, I don't, I didn't think to look this up beforehand. It, it's just, it's one of those things where, okay, it feels like you, you're, you're going to chop a long movie up into like, However, I don't know how many episodes it's supposed to end up being. 10, 12, I don't know. Um, so th- that's a little disorienting for me. Um, but it's it's a minor criticism. I, I, I'm, I'm still, I'm, I'm enjoying it. I'm like you. I don't know if I love it, but I like it enough to want to keep watching. And I'm not losing patience. Even the slower building things, I'm not losing patience with the way I did with, say, there were things about Boba Fett that were driving me crazy at a certain point. Oh, and by the way, and my final thing about it, I'm going to say, unless you bring up something which triggers another thing, I'm glad to have a Star Wars show that's not taking place half on Tatooine. Yes. I'm like, oh, wait, oh, we can be somewhere else? (laughs) Thank you. Oh, oh, it's the Scottish Highlands. Okay, cool, whatever. I mean, I know it's not, well, it might be where they filmed it. I have no idea, but that's what it looks like to me, but whatever. And, and the the final thing I'll say is uh, Diego Luna is a compelling actor who you just watching him he gives you a full range of emotions uh, that that like you say there's something behind what he's saying and what he's doing that you sense sadness you know anger um, all sort of things he he's not he's not he's not an anti-hero like a Tony Soprano, but he's not a hero like a Luke Skywalker. Um, you know, he, he, he's a complicated man and we're learning more about him as it goes. And I, I and I like that. And then that, that guy's just, he's great. Right. Oh, it's funny. Cause I don't, and I don't know why I lump them together. Maybe they were in a film together or something, or maybe it's just because they are similar I don't know, um, but I don't know if I mentioned when I did a little bit. I said about Werewolf by Night. Did I mention it's Gail Garcia Bernal? Isn't that? Did I mention that? No, you didn't. Okay, Gail Bar- Garcia Bernal is the—he's actually the main character. Who, who, by the way, is is Jack Russell? And I meant to make a—I t- meant to make a, t- a, a terrier joke during that thing, and I forgot to do it. See, this is why I need to script my shit because I would have had that written down. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> so let's move on to what was. 
for quite some time, we all thought was like this was the hottest streaming service to watch until you know there was a this weird merger. Now we don't know what the hell is going on over there, and they're, they're going to ruin the whole place. But we're talking about HBO Max now, and when it's HBO Max, and this is going to come up with the next service we talk about as well. That means you can also incorporate things that are on HBO because people like me. We don't need to DVR things on HBO anymore because they'll be on HBO Max. They're on HBO Max. There you go. <laughs> uh, I'll start off with something really quick because I don't think we need to spend too much time on it. Um, I watched the, in the last, uh, last month or so, I did watch the second season of Hacks. That's a show with uh, Gene Smart as Deborah Vance, the, the, almost the, the Joan Rivers-like character on the show, and her, you know... Write, write, writer. I was going to call it her assistant, but she's not her assistant. She's uh, the, her, the, the writer working on her behalf, who's played by uh, Hannah Einbinder, who for some reason reminds me of someone that we both mutually know, but I can't, I'm not going to say it on the podcast, but I'll say it offline. Um, I liked the season, but I didn't think it was as strong as the first season. Um, maybe because. There, it was the story wasn't as tightly conceived, perhaps. Um, I'm not saying it was a sophomore slump. I, I still think it was pretty good. Um, there were some things. There, there was there was a running gag. I just got a little tired of as far as the whole lawsuit involving her. Which I, I, I did any of us believe it? From we knew once they introduced the idea that oh she's suing her. So I'm like, okay, by the time we get to the final episode, that'll be one of the cute concessions. Like, oh, she's not going to sue her after all or something. I'm just waiting for that. And and, and how hapless is this person going to continue to be in different situations or whatever? Um, but there are, I think there are a couple of really standout episodes during the course of the season. Um, I especially like the whole idea that uh, the character, uh, Deborah Vance, had all this guilt from something she did to a former uh, stand-up comedy colleague, you know, starting out, and she felt she kind of sabotaged her career, and the whole episode about that, um, and that actress who plays her, who we see everywhere, who I should have written down her name, she's actually in Werewolf by Night, as a matter of fact, she's she actually plays a major part in Werewolf by Night, no less, which shocked me, um, but people know her, like, from Cheers, uh, not Cheers, Frasier, uh, <laughs> and stuff like that. I, it was, I, I, it was, it was a decent season. I, I just, I just think I liked the first one better. That's all. I don't really, I don't have, I don't have a lot more to say about it. I, I, I think some characters got a little short change this season. Uh, like the person who is her assistant, I thought they did more with that character in the first season than they did with this season. Although I, I, I do like when their parents show up, or their, their mother, I guess. Um, but I just felt, I almost wanted there to be more with that character. And I thought we got a lot with that character in, in, the, in the first season. Um, and then some of the gags with the agent... I kind of like him more, but I thought, but I, but I like the storylines with him a little less for some reason. I, I don't know. And he's one of the creators of the show. He's one of the main writers and creators of the show, which is kind of cool. Um, 
and, and and maybe the whole thing with the assist with his assistant, who's the daughter of the guy who runs all agency, um, and we love the actor who plays that character because we know him from Deadwood and other things. Um, I know it's a comedy, so I gotta I gotta let it. Sometimes I gotta let that this stuff go because I'm the first one to scold other people for it. But her character kind of strains credibility for me, as opposed to say like the crazy assistant on. Say I don't know, um, Mythic, Mythic Quest. Quest, but the but the setup of that show doesn't have the real feeling that this show does. This show feels like it's more supposed to be more grounded in reality, and then you have a character who, who I think you're 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 too goofy, loopy out there. How is no one seeing this? How is this continuing? So it, it's like a gag that I I've, I got tired of that gag in the first season. This season, uh, second season of it didn't help matters any. She feels like she should. It's like some bad jo- rejected joke from Entourage is stuck on this show, and I'm not a fan <laughs> of Entourage. But, you know. Well, I, I think uh, I agree mostly with your analysis. I, I, the thing I think I think I don't think the writing was as good this season for me, but I do like the. I have hopes for for future seasons because I think the chemistry between you know, the two main stars, uh, th- they put them uh, on more equal footing and explored that relationship in a really good way. And that chemistry did work. Uh, you know, last season was all about getting in the door and developing a rapport with her. And this season, uh, it's on a more equal footing with some betrayals both ways, you know, testing the relationship. But, uh, but the chemistry for them, I think, improved, and and I thought it was really good this season, and gives me hope that if, you know, the writing next season goes in a more interesting direction, I think it could have be a really phenomenal season. I agree, absolutely. So since we're going to talk about a probably several shows on HBO Max, I think I'm going to keep changing the tempo of the kind of shows we're talking about. So we just talked about comedy, so I'm actually going to skip what we were originally going to talk about. I'm going to switch the order here. I'm going to bounce over to We Own This This City, which was a show that originally premiered on HBO several months ago. I think it was April, maybe it was on. Um, And it was a show that, it became one of those shows that I was posting threads for on Facebook, but I wasn't watching myself. So I had to avoid getting, which is tricky because some shows you worry about and you're looking for a picture to put on Facebook and you might get spoiled on something. Luckily, that didn't happen with this show. Um, obviously, this was a show that the appeal for folks like me and Brian and, and lots of friends of ours was, it's another show from the guys who did The Wire. It's Baltimore. It's cops. Okay, I'm I'm sold. And yes, it, it very much does feel like it fits into that same, similar vein. It's interesting that even like the opening credits, there, there's certain wire-like qualities, even though the music has a very Oz-like feel to it. If you go back and listen, you know, especially it's heavy on the sax and stuff like that. Um, there, any number of actors that we would recognize from the wire have appeared in this th- throughout it. Um, main, uh, one of the main characters is actually played by Jamie Hector, who, who uh, Wire fans will remember he was the guy who played Marlowe. He plays a character quite different from that. He's actually a detective on this. Um, John Bernthal really does some fantastic work. Work I didn't think he... I always thought he was a decent actor. He kind of opened my eyes with his performance here. Um, 
and he's not he's not terribly likable. But when as you go through from episode to episode, especially because they use time very interestingly on the show, they're the editing on the show must be insane because they're constantly bouncing between any number of different time periods over the last. 15, 20 years. So you're going to see these characters, they might be the way they were in 2004, then 2012, then 2015, then 2008. You know, it's, it's bouncing all over the map. And Bernthal's character, who's one of the main ones in this, um, he's not a great guy, he's not a nice guy, whatever, but you become, you get to understand him, and you get to understand how he got to where he is now, and why he is the way he is now. So he's not just a total... Again, I'm not saying it, nothing is going to redeem what he is, but you see how the system helped create what he is. Um, there's a bunch of other... We, we could spend all day on the podcast just listing all the different actors um, and how good they are. The, the only the other two I'll mention, and then I'll throw it to Brian because, you know... Maybe a lawyer should be talking about this shit. I don't know. Um, number one, it's really nice to see the actress, uh, Wunmi Masaku on this. I, I actually wish they had given her more than what she ended up doing. I felt like she was there more, the character and the storylines involving her character. And she's was more of a, a lawyer on the civil rights activism side of the show. Um, I felt it was more about this is teaching me the stuff, which I didn't mind. But I kind of want. I, I kind of wish there had been a, a more a stronger um, through line for her that she was more heavily involved with the you know uncovering of crimes or whatever. But since this is based on a true story, these are actual people. That's just I got to give them credit. So they didn't they didn't want to change things. Um, and the other person I need to mention, the the more fat, for me more shocking than John Bernthal's performance. Josh Charles. Josh Charles, who I know from Sports Night, and and really I know him from The Good Wife. You can't really get much more likable than Josh Charles. Even when, even when you don't want to like him in like season four or five, whatever it is, of The Good Wife, you still like him. He, there is nothing redeemable about that character. He's, uh, I'm just going to say the word here, he, he's a scumbag. And also, I didn't realize Josh Charles is that big a guy. <laughs> I don't know if he put on weight and built himself up or whatever. Um, he, I'm pretty sure he beat the crap out of me with one meaty arm tied behind his back. But he, he was very, I did not know, I knew he was in it. I didn't know that they cast him against type. I was very, I was very into that. I thought that was great. Yeah, it, it is a great show. And I, I think, uh, I, I agree with all of your, your comments. Um, uh, particularly disappointing of the civil rights lawyer story. I wanted more of that, but I think that sort of drove home the point that even the federal government coming in, trying to penetrate this and being able to do something about it, that it was so jacked up that, that there wasn't much you could do that all the bureaucracy and the change in elected officials, that it created this feedback loop where Wayne Jenkins was a guy they could point to as a success and that fed on itself. And, uh, uh, but you know, the, the, the conceit, the thing I think that, that I liked about it is the conceit of the, of the episodes was there would be a police report being typed in and then it would cut, you know, to that scene, almost like you're the officer taking their report, seeing what's, happening 
that that you know that you're observing it and writing that report in your mind of, about what you see and the, and the way it played off that is you would see what happened and then you would hear you know Wayne Jenkins or the other guys on the squad tell their side of it how they saw it being um, and it would be these different versions that you would would try to reconcile or understand. And you know, nobody does crime better than David Simon. Uh, and and the, the only only criticism I will ever suffer David David Simon because he is a you know to me he's at the pinnacle of writing and uh, he he occasionally is a little too heavy handed occasionally, um, but you know. He he puts his money where his mouth is, and again, this is another love letter to that city. Filmed in that city, a lot of the people acting were first time actors that he got from that city, and uh, so uh, it. I, I thought it was remarkable, and uh, it got some attention, but not as much as it deserved, which is another classic hallmark of David Simon. <laughs> oh yeah, oh we, we we didn't hear we we didn't hear boo about it at the Emmys, did we? Just like the wire. Okay, so let's switch gears. One, talk about switching gears. Uh, the only th- the only thing the next two shows are going to have in common is that they both are centered around the same actress. So that's something unique here. But I need to spend a little bit of this podcast talking about the latest season of Harley Quinn. Harley Quinn season three. Now, I know there's a significant number of listeners who probably won't bother watching an animated series, or they won't bother watching an animated series, which is about, you know, superhero characters, you know, because if it's, you know, know, it's it's not Big Mouth, it's not The Simpsons, it's like, I'm not going to watch that. I'm telling you guys, give it a couple episodes of season one and give it a shot. Just take it from me. It's worth it. They have taken a character that, I mean, Harley Quinn has already has a fan base and that goes back to the early 90s when she first was invented on the Batman animated series. She was originally, originally came from that before she ever entered the comic book world. Um, but they're, they treat this, it's, it's so funny, yet they treat the character with such, not reverence, but just, they, they make her so much more real. They deal with her dependency issues. They deal with when you go back to season one and, you know, the toxic relationship she has with the Joker. And it's not treated. I mean, it, there are jokes in the show, but it's not treated as a joke. It's treated, it's treated like probably better than we, we've seen it depicted before. And then that she ends up, uh, having this relationship that becomes a full of a, a full on relationship with poison ivy and the fact that they have the guts to do that in the first place is something to be heralded anyway, but it's done in such a remarkably believable way. And they don't try to, they don't dumb it down and they don't make Harley Quinn's character. There are times where you could see her being annoying. And I like that they do that because that's a risk. It's a risk to make your main character be annoying and clingy at times like she is with poison ivy at certain points earlier in this season. Um, but it's, it's just, it's a very well crafted show. And this third season, um, they decide 
to dip a bit more into the Batman side of things. And he's appeared in the first couple seasons, but he never played that heavy a part in those two seasons. Um, and it's funny because the big story before this season ever aired, ever got, ever got started popping up on HBO Max was apparently, um, some of the suits. And I don't, I don't know if the suits at DC Comics or at Warner Brothers. I don't know. They objected to a scene that was going to depict Batman apparently um, per, uh, performing oral sex or going down on Catwoman. And it's like, oh, no, you can't do that. Batman doesn't do it. And this became like the, the, a PR nightmare. It just was ridiculous. Um, the fact that they would be, they would have an issue with that. But then what they do to Batman in this series is like, really? That's what you had a problem with? But what they ended up doing, that was okay? <laughs> that makes no sense whatsoever. But you know what? Kudos to the writers and, and the people behind Harley Quinn for getting away with what they did. Because I never would have thought DC would have been okay with that. And it, it, it resulted in one specific episode. One after it's pretty good, too. But the one specific episode... Which, if I told you, oh, it's going to be all about the death of, of Bruce Wayne's parents, you'd be like, oh my god, I've seen that a million times. I do not need to see that episode. I'm going to tell you, no. You do need to see this episode. It's about the fact you have seen it a thousand times, quite frankly. And it touches on it in a variety of ways you've never seen before. And if you were in any way a fan of the original Batman animated series from the ninth, from the early to mid nineties, you really, really, really need to see it. It's one of the best things I've seen in animated form in some time, at least for television in some time. And that, that, that's like the highlight of the whole season. Um, but, it, but it, it's such a good show. I, I can't recommend it much enough. Great voice work. Kelly Cuoco is the main character. She's, you know, She's not the original Harley Quinn, but she does a damn good job of it. Um, any number of people show up. I mean, Alan Tudyk steals every scene, whether he's doing Clayface or Joker or anyone else he does on the show. And the fact that they were able to bring back Tony Hale made me very happy because I don't think I know Tony. We're, we love Tony Hale from Buster on Arrested Development and his character on Veep and so many other things. But I'm going to tell you, I don't think he has as much fun doing a part, can't have as much fun, as when he's Dr. Psycho on Harley Quinn. I want the footage of him in the recording studio doing that part. I want to see it. I need to see that. <laughs> you you watch it, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. It, it's, it's a delightful, I keep saying delightful, I don't know why that's my freaking word tonight, the it's a really fun show. And, and the interesting thing you and I talked about uh, maybe a year or two ago is maybe this show uses the full palette of characters from the universe better than almost any other show. That it it pulls in a diverse group of characters. Uh, and some of them are in you know silly one-off gags. Some of them have small parts. Some of them are brought in, uh, you know, I think one of the past seasons when it was about whether she could join, you know, the brotherhood of evil. Um, and it's not the brotherhood of evil, but, uh, uh, when Joker's on the Legion of, the Doom. Legion of Doom. Yeah. 
see, I'm not, I'm not versed in the DC, but, but they pull in the Legion of Doom characters. Uh, it's, it's, you recommended it to me and, uh, I watched it, you know, a little bit, few askance to start, but really, uh, really enjoyed it and enjoyed it in this season. I mean, it, it, it continued its level of quality. Oh, it's, it, it, it's just, it's just so good. I mean, again, I, I'm, still shocked or surprised that they have been given as much latitude to do what they want with certain characters, whether it be making Batman look incredibly clingy and foolish and just rather pathetic and almost responsible for the destruction of the entire city. Quite frankly, um, they, they, they brought in Harvey, Harvey Guillen, the guy who plays Guillermo on what we do in the shadows. He's the voice of Nightwing. That's brilliant. It's a brilliant choice. <laughs> it's so good. Um, there's just, it's so, oh, and when he's on it, Christopher Maloney and as Gordon, C- Commissioner Gordon, whether it be Commissioner Gordon or Captain Gordon, depending what, what era he's from, has always been depicted, depicted as this very respectable, you know, good cop, the guy you root for, the one. And they make him a sh- total schmuck on this show. Every once in a while, there'll be a redeeming thing about him, but generally speaking, kind of a schmuck. Mm-hmm. And they they were okay with that too. But you know, but but oral sex, no, very strange. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> okay. So the other show that uh, Katie Coco is on that I did get to catch up on, and this. We don't. I don't think we'll spend that much time on this one. Quite frankly, would be the second season of the Flight Attendant. Um, I really like the first season of Flight Attendant. Um, I mean, it has touches of self indulgence and repetitive things here and there, but by and large, I appreciate the fact that, um, especially for, the, I realize that you know what, eighty, ninety, who knows what percentage of the audience watching this probably isn't getting that. This, they're just riffing on Hitchcock over and over throughout this show. Um, they did that in season one. Guess what? They do that again in season two. It's actually even, if, if I'm not mistaken, I think it's actually more blatant <laughs> in season two. I mean, it's like, if you thought Brian the Palmas were ripping on Hitchcock, but, the, but they, but they know they're doing that and it's okay. It's fine. It's, I have no issue with that. Um, did I love it? Yeah, I, 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 I liked it. I, 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 but I, I think I started just to grow weary of it after a while. Um, I think she does a really good job. I think it's weird to have a character who um, the, the entire first season and was pretty much, you know, a drunk um, on Bach, and then this season is about her trying to overcome that and where it goes. And we also see that Katie Cuoco does commercials for vodka. <laughs> And it's just, it's very jarring if you go from this to like a network show. Like, okay, did, did, did her agent okay that? Shouldn't, shouldn't someone have thought that would be a problem? I don't, I don't understand that. Um, let me, all I'm going to say beyond that is, I mean, there are things I like about it. I like, uh, I forget her first name. I know she's David Mamet's daughter who plays her best friend. I really like her. She's been my favorite thing on the show, quite frankly, on both seasons. But by the time we got to the end of this, I was like, you know what? They can stop this show now. I don't know if they've renewed it, but I th- right now I was like, I don't need a third season. I'm, I'm good. We can stop now. 
it, it, it's good. I, 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 the Rosie Perez thing, I never, but I, I thought was ridiculous from the get go, and the fact I had to spend more time with it made kind of annoyed me to begin with. I, I just, I, I'm, I'm good. That's my feeling about it, at least. Um, I thought season two was okay, but uh, it was a letdown from season one. And, and like you, I think I, th- I think I could be wrong. Uh, I think it's been renewed, and they've said next season's the final season, Ugh. which you know I, I don't may not may hopefully it's it's better than season two because season two by the end felt unnecessary. Yeah, I mean, look, I'll give the first episode a try. If they if they come up with a premise that in, that you know pulls me in, I'll probably end up watching it at you know at my leisure. So to speak. Okay, so I mentioned that we would, since even though it's HBO Max, you know, I'm going to cover the occasional HBO show that shows up there, like we did with Beyond the City. Um, we'll kind of save the big one for last, and that would be House of the Dragon, which I, as of today, am caught up on. Um, my take on this is going to be more of an overview. Uh, I'm not going to drill too much into any kind of details with 8,000 different characters, even though it's not that many, whatever. Because, uh, in my opinion, you know what? There are hundreds, who knows, there might even be thousands of podcasts out there, uh, many of which cover Game of Thrones or House of the Dragon or whatever we want to call it this time around, uh, extremely well with, ex- you know, with attention to detail. Many of them are people who are devoted to the books as well. So they speak about the show as if, you know, although we're only seeing 5% of the books on screen, but they, they're informed with the 95% that we're not seeing. And they, that's what they keep talking about, which drives a person like me crazy. Cause I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about because that's not what I'm seeing on screen. So it doesn't count. It's in a book, but until it shows up on the TV show, that doesn't mean anything to me. And quite frankly, it shouldn't mean anything to you, but it's everyone's just filling in the blanks that you don't see, which kind of drives me a little crazy, but I, I kind of let it go. Um, what I'll say about it is this. Am I enjoying it? Yes, I am. I am engaged in it. I find uh, I'm, I'm, I'm watching it. I, I don't need to watch it the very next, that, 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 that night or the very next day. I, I get to it when I get to it. So it's not, it's not, it's not. Must see viewing for me, shall we say? Um, but but I'm enjoying it. I, I like, I, and there's something I don't. I you know what I don't know if I like it or don't like this aspect of it. Game of Thrones, although there's a major inciting incident at the very end of the first episode, we all know when she, you know when he gets to push out the window and, and he sees the brother and the sister getting together. Blah blah blah. Everyone knows what I'm talking about. I don't need to be specific. Um, I know Jamie and Cersei and Brad, whatever. I, I remember character names. Everybody shut up. Um, but beyond that, there are so many different storylines and character threads that we're following in Game of Thrones from that episode on that are, that, that, that may not have anything to do with each other at this point in time. They eventually might intersect, but not initially. This show, House of the Dragon, it feels to me like I'm really following one storyline. And even if, even when there's a character who maybe not, who's not in Westeros or King's Landing or wherever the heck, wherever the heck we want to say it is, they're somewhere else, but they're still part of that story. They're just being referenced. You know, oh, they went one other place. 
you know, but it, it seems to be like we're following one major storyline and that's it. Now, I don't mind that. I'm just very conscious of it. And it's very different than what Game of Thrones is, which it should be. It should be different than Game of Thrones. Now, that said, I don't know why you need to use the Game of Thrones theme to open this show. Why not come up with your own theme? It, I, I, I love the Game of Thrones theme, don't get me wrong, but it, it seemed like a weird choice. It seemed weird that I need to have someone explain to me what these opening credits mean. And I was like, I kind of got what it was, but then I was like, okay... But it's not as clear-cut as what the Game of Thrones opening credits were, which would just inform the viewer of where the the, the, the areas where this episode was going to be taking place and where we were going to go and stuff like that. It's like, oh, we're going to Dorne now, or we're going to whatever. This is like, I, I get it, it's the, it's the sigils of the family and the blues. It's just not as interesting a visual for me, I guess. But that's a, a nitpicky of nitpicky, whatever. Here's the thing, and this is what's going to annoy some people. I don't like when people criticize a show by calling it a soap opera. I've said this a number of times. I hate that criticism. Number one, because guess what? Most shows you watch that are serialized are therefore are soap operas. You know, I mentioned Oz before. Oz is Oz is as a soap opera as it gets. Sorry, that's what it is. You know. There's no, and there's, what I'm saying is there's nothing wrong with that. This show is, it's basically Dallas or Falcon Crest as if it was set in like medieval times with dragons. That is literally what it is with a bit, with a bit more of incestuous relationships involved. But I mean, the storylines of, you know, of, you know, People vying for control in a family and con- the conflicting relationships and people. Sc- it's like yes, the, yeah, that's that's Dallas or Falcon Crest. It's you know not so much nuts landing, but <laughs> and I, I and I do not mean that as a criticism. I grew up on those shows. I I you know what I can sit here and I can tell you maybe it maybe I can't put Dallas on the top tier with a Sopranos or Breaking Bad kind of a thing. But I'll put, uh, you know, give me like a two, a tier or two down. I'll put Dallas right there with any other show. I'll put, I'll put Larry Hagman's performance as G.R. Ewing right there with almost any other actors. I just, I just will. And I, and I, and I can, I can have that debate. So I don't, when I'm saying this, I don't mean it as a criticism. I just find it interesting that it's clear to me that's what the show is. And I'm happy with that. But I know there's a lot of people who are fans of this stuff, and if I say that to them, they're gonna act like I just, you know, you know, took out the eye of their first firstborn son or something, you know. So yeah. I just wanted to get that out there first. Then I'll, I'll I'll let Brian go, and then then I'll address the whole you know shooting in the dark thing. <laughs> well, I, I think that people diminish things, uh, try to d- diminish things by calling it a soap opera. When something deals with relationships and uh, if it's not focused solely on the dragons or the swords uh, or, or the gratuitous brothel nudity, then it's a soap opera. Um, and I think this show, I, I totally get what you're saying. And I think there's a clarity to the story in this, that, that this is, this is following the Targaryen family and that's what we're doing. Just like the Ewing family, you know, uh, just like the Carringtons, 
we're following a family um, and all the myriad of relationships and we're even bringing in kids. I mean, we're, we're, we're doing kids. We're talking about motherhood. Uh, I have really enjoyed it. And I, and I have to say, if there's one thing I would say about this show so far, and if you listen to this and you're a game of Thrones fan, put, send the call out, get the pitchforks and come for me. I'm ready. Um, Patty Considine is King Viserys, the best King in the series, either Game of Thrones or this, his performance uh, as a slowly deteriorating man, almost like he's a leper who's just falling apart, has been wonderful. He, he's infused with humanity. He's wrong. He is fallible. Uh, and, and Matt Smith as the creepy, you know, brother in the shadows. Those two people really, uh, to me, have brought a weight to the show that that to call it simply one thing or another is is incorrect. Now, don't get me wrong; all the other actors are wonderful, but to care about the Targaryen family, where really nobody is a good nobody's a good guy in this show, nobody's a good woman in this show. It, they're all morally ambiguous, compromised people. I think the beating heart of this show has been Patty Considine as as King Viserys, and I absolutely bless his heart. I I, I feel you you know what's coming and you feel for it, uh, but but I, I have enjoyed it. I look forward to it. Uh, I was trepidatious about it, but I, I I have enjoyed it. It's interesting when it comes out. So getting to specific actors and characters and. Um, one of the things I was dreading about watching the show was um, Matt Smith. Matt, that's his name, right? Okay. Yeah. Um, maybe, maybe because I detested him so much on The Crown. I just really, and maybe there's just something about his face. I don't know. Um, I've actually really enjoyed him on this more, much more so than I had expected. Um, you hit upon something which I thought was a, a very interesting point to, to bring up because I was thinking of it as well. Um, especially now that we've got now that I've now that I'm caught up with the show, it's hard to find you know your the, the quote unquote the rooting interest here because you're right. It, no, everybody is flawed. Everyone you know they're oh they're really good until they're not, and then you realize oh okay because. Uh, uh, like when I was when I was watching like the first part of the the, the the season so far, you know, I was like, I thought, oh, I'm supposed to be rooting for his daughter because she, you know, okay, I, you know, we 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 agree with her, whatever. And then there's a certain point where like, oh, should I be rooting for? Her? That seemed a little oh, okay. And then now we got now, now we're kind of like, I don't know if I should be rooting. I mean, because I I guess compared to the other one, but she's not. And then you see how what what what's happened to Allison's character, um, because I know there were people who were like really like fans of her early on. Which, by the way, I had I didn't understand. Like, I don't. Why would you like Allison? I, I I see. There's I think there was nothing interesting about her in those first few episodes. Now she's interesting, but I'm not going to root for her. <laughs> You know, um, but talking about Patty Considine, I 
I, I would have to think about who's the best king. That's a, that's, that's a bold statement, sir. Um, performance wise, I am really, uh, taken with it. And it's a very different kind of part. I mean, guy seems like he's been dying since the very first episode. So I'm just like, how is he still lingering here? And why doesn't he wear a hat? Um, <laughs> <laughs> he's going to eventually be the crypt keeper. Probably. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I with mean, the long body hair. Pretty much. And uh, I'm probably going to mispronounce his name, so I don't even want to even try it. Um, Otto, uh, is it is it is it Rise or Rees? I think it's Rees. Rees Efons, whatever. He's another one of those actors who kind of brings it all the time. He's got oh, yeah. he has that instant gravitas, credibility kind of thing. He kind of reminds me of he's almost like a slightly younger. Um, he reminds me of kind of like the way Charles Dance was a little bit, except not as commandeering a character because he's not you know the guy in charge the the head of a family but performance wise is that certain way he kind of the way he speaks the way he speaks to his daughter reminds me a lot of you know how charles dance would would say would talk to the cersei i I know i should be saying his character's name is it it is charles dance i did get that yeah that's that's correct for a minute i was like wait am i thinking of the guy who played blofeld and james bond back in the 60s did i screw up uh, wow, that's a deep cut for you. Um, now, okay. So, I guess there was some minor or major, I don't know, controversy recently, um, reminiscent of season eight <laughs> of Game of Thrones. And were the, was, was the episode, was it the episode actually called The Night King from Game of Thrones? The, I think it was called The Long Night. The Long Night. There, there. Thank you. I, I blocked it from memory. I knew I knew it wasn't the episode with the fireplace that you love so much, so um, <laughs> had to get that in there. A Night of the Seven Kingdoms. Yes. No. <laughs> so that was the episode that you know people were losing their shit about because we couldn't fucking see half of what was going on during it, and then and then the cinematographers who came out and said, "Oh, if you readjust the settings on your TV," is like, "Oh, by the way." That didn't work. Just, just saying. Um, so I, I, I heard about all this before I watched the last two episodes. And I was like, "All right, I'm looking forward to this." You know, I've, I've seen a million tweets in my my feed, whatever, even from critics, not just just regular yokels, whatever, making smart ass comments about it. So I had two episodes to watch earlier today. So I'm watching one. Um, and there's like the scene where the, the one of the characters goes down into the bowels of everything to uh, to, to confront the dragon, whatever. And I was like, "Well, this should be dark. It's dark. It's caverns. What are they talking about? It's fine. It looks fine." I didn't realize until I got to the next episode. Like, oh no, they're talking about this episode, not that episode. Okay, they're not wrong. I. It's not that I couldn't see it. But I didn't understand why it was shot the way it was. When the two, when the two characters are walking down the beach, I'm sorry. There's no excuse. I've watched thousands of hours of television and more, more importantly, films. I don't believe a cinematographer would, shoot, would ever shoot it that way. You can have it be as dark as fuck out there, but you still know how to illuminate characters so I can make out the features on their face. I could not make out the features on Matt Smith's face during a lot of those conversations. 
it was hard for me to see that. It didn't. It didn't make me want to. Th- I didn't want to throw a tantrum. But when I had already heard about this, but I was like, okay, this, this is what they're talking about. And then you had the kid running, and then there's the part where he's in the bushes, and you can't see him at all. And I'm like, I, I don't, I don't understand why they shot this this way. There is ways to light this where you still, it, you still, it's still at night. It's still, you can use natural light, whatever. There's a million ways to do this. And they, and if it's that same cinematographer, it probably is the same cinematographer. I don't know if it is or not. Maybe it's not, but it seems weird that once again, even if it's with a different title, (laughs) it's the same problem. And I found it almost more inexcusable this time because I just, I I was like, I don't understand why this is shot this way. There's no, I don't see a reason for it. I don't see a reason artistically for it. And there's a way to have done this where it, it could have been done better. And I agree with the complaints. I was able to get through it. It's not like it was a black screen, but I didn't understand it. If that's what everyone's been talking about, I do agree with you. You know, and they did, and they do, and I'm, and the defenders, I'm sorry. I let some of you, I, I have the greatest respect for, but you're wrong. You're wrong. It could, because the, and now I know why people who are professionals were saying this shit, not just your, your average troll on, on Twitter. But, and that's what I have to say about that. Well, I'll just say that sidestepping the issue of, of your, your hot take, uh, just as to the overall content of the episode, I, I mean, I watched the episode and I, I didn't come away emotionally bothered by it. Um, I, it, it was, I think disorienting, uh, for a small period of time, but you know, the people that say it ruined the episode or the episode, you know, I couldn't appreciate the episode because of the lighting. I mean, all the crazy shit that happened in this episode, you could see that was crucial to the story. So, I mean, to me, this is, I think this is the people, um, and not all of them. And, and I think technically there's a criticism to be had, but I think this is people, uh, you know, sharpening their knives that, that were disappointed by season eight that had a, had a leg to stand on to make a complaint against the show and perhaps oversold the, the importance of this, you know, technical gaffe or whatever, uh, and made it a bigger issue than I think it was to the story. Yeah, I, I don't think it had a great impact on it. I, I just, I just felt they could have avoided it to begin with by because I didn't see a reason to have shot it in the way they did. I see, I see no artistic merit for what they did, and I've, you know what, I've seen many a scene in my lifetime of two using the scene I, I pointed to because there were some other scenes I could that were a little, just before that I, I noticed it was happening. I noticed as it was as there was there was no as the sun went down. Apparently, they decided, oh, we're not going to have any torches or anything to light people here. We'll just you know we'll just we'll just get dark. Which, by the way, didn't really make much sense to me, but whatever. Um, but I've seen people walking down a beach a million times at night. Uh, some of my favorite movies <laughs> involve scenes like that, and I could see what I, I could see the god their goddamn faces. It just it it. It just, it was in the moment, it annoyed me. Did it take away, but it wasn't, 
It didn't bother me as far as the overall episode because it wasn't the scenes that had the big impact in the episode. Those scenes were, there was no, I could see them fine. The, the, when the kids are fighting, of course I could see that. When everything happened, the big confrontation and what happens there, that's perfectly well lit. It's just, I'm only, it, it was the um, exterior shots I didn't understand. And it was, I kept thinking, this, I'm sure the guy is a, a super, or, or gal, or whoever, is a super professional, whatever, but it felt like someone didn't know how, they, they didn't know how to light a scene uh, at night and they didn't know how to shoot it. And that's what it felt like. Or they lost daylight and, and just went ahead and shot the scene and yeah. didn't go back for a pickup on it. But, uh, but I, I want to add one thing to the final. This sure. is an interesting thought after this episode I had, and I'll leave, leave my take here. And that is, you know, uh, we start out, I think you're sort of focused on Rhaenyra and her quest to su- succeed her dad. Um, and she on the surface seems to be the good one, but all her actions lead her down the bad path. Matt Smith's character, Damon seems to be outwardly the, the worst person, but with Viserys falling apart, this whole show has never moved against him to take the throne. And when they, you know, join forces in this episode, so to speak, um, she goes to him. Um, that that it, there's almost a total role reversal in their characters that he's outwardly bad, but really doesn't act on it. And you see is, you know, moved by the death of, of his wife and, and originally wishes to stay there and not return to the court. Um, so it, it, it's really interesting the way they played with characters in the show. And the one that you omitted, I think that, that cracks me up the most is Trist, Sir Tristan Cole. Everybody loved him. He was the hottie beefcake McHottie. Uh, and then, you know, turned on Rhaenyra and now he's the henchman for Alicent. And, uh, they flipped his character to a heel. Yep. Uh, and, you know, in, in a really surprising, rewarding way. But, yeah, I mean, I, I, I have enjoyed it. I'll be curious to see where it goes. Uh, rumor on the street is there's some really tough episodes coming in the near future uh, on it. So um, we'll see. But, yeah. Yeah. I'm, 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 like I said, I'm enjoying it. Um, I, like, I, I probably didn't want to get it. I, I probably wanted to get any specific character things because there's so much and we'd spend another half hour on it and I didn't really want to do that. Like the guy who's been set up as a villain from the get go, I think his name is, uh, begins in an L. Laris. Thank you. Um, I'm enjoying him, although, although I love the fact that it's almost cartoonish because he's so obvious and it, it made me have little respect for Allison's the previous out and this one because I'm like, you're not, you're not getting this. <laughs> you're, you're not, you're not seeing what he's doing. I mean, if he had a mustache, he'd be twirling it right now. How, how are you not getting this? I mean, I, I, Hey, look, I, 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 I love, sometimes I do love an obvious villain as much as I love a subtle one, but I kept going, really? You're not like, and did, did he just kill his dad and his brother? Just, okay. All right. <laughs> Sir, Sir Snidely Whiplash to yeah. court. <laughs> Sir Snidely. <laughs> All right, so um, let us move uh, to the next H-titled streaming service. That would be Hulu. Hulu. I got to tell you, 
Hulu, um, if we were having this conversation like a year and a half ago, maybe, I'd be like, eh, Hulu. I, I put it on for Letterkenny, and I watched The Handmaid's Tale with my friends every Sunday when, when it's on, when, you know, like a month or two after it's aired or something, but I could care less about Hulu. I'm kind of changing my mind about Hulu. Uh, would you like to kick off uh, what we're going to uh, pick, pick a show that we've both seen we can talk about here? Um, sh- should we should we talk about the, the one that we love the most that we talked about before on air or 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 should we should I pick another one? I don't I, well, surprise me. <laughs> OK, well, if I'm going to surprise you, then let's talk about. Um, let's talk about what we do in the shadows. Um, a comedy we've loved has been in top 10, top 20 lists, um, and continues to be a treat. And, uh, uh, here's to a million seasons of what we do in shadows. What we do in the shadows is the funniest show on TV. Period. I, 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 there are, and, and, and I, can, I can say that with confidence, because even the other shows that I think of or that are billed as comedies that I'm, that I'm a huge fan of aren't necessarily all that funny most of the time. Like a Barry. I love Barry. Is Barry very funny like 80% of the time? No, because it's not, it's not simply a comedy. You can, maybe it's a dramedy. Shadows is a comedy. <laughs> You know, and it's 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 so smart, and I have a great appreciation for the fact that you can be and oh, it's the epitome of a Scott show because you can have a show that can be amazingly smart and also have a fart joke. That's my idea. That's that's Mel Brooks, man. <laughs> you know, and this to me, this show could be the second coming of Mel Brooks, as far as I'm concerned. And from the smallest little details to their perfection of the performances, each season, there's a different character I think is the MVP of the season, or I think is the, you know, whatever. And we're not talking about who's the heart of the show, because we know that's the Guillermo character, no matter what. We're not talking about that. That's talking about performance. Um and you know, and sometimes it might be because of like a standout episode. Like, for, like for me personally, I would have went like, you know, when we were introduced to the show in the first season, the one I gravitated to just because of the ridiculousness of the voice and the accent was actually the main, the well, the, the main vampire, which was Nandor. But then season two, it was uh, Matt, Matt 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 Barry's character, um, Laszlo. I mean, especially with the Jackie Daytona episode of all, which is just one of the greatest episodes of TV in the last several years. He was like, okay, he's my favorite character. Um, Season three then became more like, oh, my God, how am I not talking about Colin Robinson all the time? Because he's so good and so funny, whatever. And his relationship with Matt Berry's character was just, okay, they took this in a different direction, whatever. But season four? It's Nadia. Nadia is, I mean, she's, I mean, she's funny season after season, but oh my God, I had to pause the show several times laughing from stuff that she does. Um, it's so it, 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 
I, I love a show that everyone has an equal chance to just dazzle you with being funny, all, all the people I just mentioned, and then you can be touched as well. And that's where we, then we head right back to um, Guillermo's character and some stuff that happens in this season. There's one episode that's a little iffy. There's one episode that if you start thinking about it, you might get a little bothered by what they did. I think, I would say it's a rare misstep for the show. I'm able to get past it, but it's a little, you know, I think you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, you probably do. You're, you're, you're a smart guy. You know what they're talking about. That aside, it's just, it's, uh, oh, and then the supporting people they bring in. Whether it be oh, whether it be Kristen Shaw's recurring character, I uh, I have a strange fascination with her. I don't know what's going on in my brain chemistry, or whatever. But you know, I I think she's popped up in more than more than a few dreams of mine. It's really weird, but I love her on the show. And oh my god, when they actually bring Nick Kroll back, and they do that gag where he has to, where he basically introduces his own entourage, which just goes on forever. And then you realize, wait a minute, there's something familiar about this joke, and you go back to the first time you appeared, and they did the same joke then. Yeah, it's it's very Mister Show like, where you, where it just this is going on and on and on and on. It's going on longer than it should, which makes it more brilliant. Um, I, again, I. I it's a show that when I try to explain it to someone else, they just stare at me like, really? they're like, ew, comedy about vampires sounds kind of dopey. Oh, it's another mockumentary show, really? It's like, no, it's, it's, it's brilliant. Trust me, watch, just watch one episode. It's brilliant. It's so good. It, it's, it, the show has a surrealistic whimsy to it that, that makes it delightful. There it is. God, why is that in my head? I'm, I'm the delightful <laughs> king tonight. Uh, but, but uh, the this season, you know, some of the disturbing Colin Robinson as a little advanced baby stuff was. It, it's both disturbing and hilarious, and they they pull it off. Uh, his relationship with Matt Barry and sort of, you know, hey, kid, we're going to hit the vaudeville circuit. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's it's just uh, it, it's it's the kind of comedy that's smart yet is is silly. Um, and it, it's it's by far I, I laugh more during this show than than any other comedy. Yeah. The, the only things I can think of that even are in the same ballpark might be and are not are they're not live action, you know. Maybe maybe Big Mouth maybe is the closest I can think of a show that I that's on now that I laugh as much during. But uh, it's it's so good. It's just it and it's uh, it's 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 the kind of it. It's rare in comedies. There, it's the kind that you can go back and find other things to laugh at. Little there's little, little it's almost like there's little Easter eggs of gags or or just really smart jokes here and there. It's such a such a good show, and it's great, and also a great song. Uh, <laughs> well, since you brought up one comedy, I thought that Pete, that's FX two Hulu. Well, let's maybe switch to another comedy that's just purely Hulu, and that would be Only Murders in the Building. And they had their second season that aired this summer that we, uh, we caught up with. Um, look. I, I don't think, I'm sorry, I don't think this show could will ever be able to go wrong as long as you have Steve Martin and Martin Short, those two specifically. 
And I'm not trying to shortchange Selena Gomez. I think she's wonderful on the show. The fact that she, you know, she's getting to play off these two um, um, pretty much legendary, iconic comedy figures who are both more than twice her age, whatever. And she, she handles herself beautifully. I am not shortchanging her at all. But the reason that I'm watching this is because you've got Steve Martin and Martin Short. And the fact that even though these are two as seasoned comedic performers as you will ever find, but they find time to give them such pathos. And there's a poignancy and a sadness um, and, a, and even a tragic uh, aspect to their characters that we see fleshed out from time to time, whether it be involving um, Martin Short's character's uh, relationship with his son and his, his the possibility that it might not be his son after all, to Steve Martin's character, who's just, you know, at times he's just been lonely and, or, and, and, you know, Fame has passed him by, and maybe he's getting another chance, but maybe it's in a, it's not in the way that he wanted it to be. And and how does that affect his his ego, his identity, and how he feels about himself? It, there, there's so much good there um, that I feel can get overlooked when people just treat it like, oh, it's just it's it's oh, it's it's a murder mystery that's just dragged out over ten episodes. Like, yeah, it's not an episode of murder she wrote. It's and it's it's very engaging it's fun it's brisk and it's and also for people from new york like myself i'm a new yorker as are most of my friends um it feels very new york it's a very new york show maybe not the part of new york that i live in because you know i can't afford to live there but (laughs) but it's it's about as New York a show as I've seen since maybe I'd have to go back to things like, you know, Taxi or something like that. It's, it has a very New York feel. Yeah, the, the just seeing Martin Short and Steve Martin and the work they do, it, I mean, that's worth the price of admission alone. But you had a lot of really good uh, supporting actors some surprise appearances. I, I mean, I, I love the gag, like where it was Sting's apartment and Sting briefly appears, in, you know, in an episode. Oh, uh, I also love the recurring, because I think she showed up briefly this season as well. Uh, Jane Lynch as his former stunt double. Yeah. Yes. Which is just ridiculous. Yeah. Because not only did she look like it was like, okay, you're also like, it looks like you're like a foot taller than him. So it doesn't make any sense. Nathan Lane, uh, as a recurring character, um, it's, it's nice because I've, I already know that Nathan Lane can do serious. I've seen it. You know, he's, he was actually, he was actually excellent on The Good Wife, as a matter of fact. Um, I, I've loved him on this. I think he's been really excellent. Either he's interacting with his deaf son or those elevator rides with Martin Short's character. <laughs> um, yeah, there's been a lot of uh, people they brought in and supporting players that have actually helped uh, liven things up. And I'm very much looking forward to the third season, which apparently means they're getting out of the building because it looks like the murder is what happens at the end of the episode. It takes place in a Broadway theater, and I believe the victim is Paul Rudd. You know, I'm assuming everyone's seen it at this point. If I just spoiled it, sorry, guys. Um, <laughs> um, and then it was funny. 
and, and then, it, then, then also it's probably Paul Rudd's going to be in season three. It's like, all right, well, you just, if anyone hasn't watched it, you just spoiled it for everybody. But I guess, you know, we're going to have a lot of flashbacks with Paul Rudd since he, we just saw him get killed. <laughs> but it means the murder and everything's taking place outside of the building. So I don't know if that means they got to change the title. That's that's a very a very interesting point, and was kind of jarring to see a time jump and and see that. But yeah, it, it's uh, you know two seasons full steam ahead. Oh, it's been so much fun. Oh, and Tina Fey's having a ball in it too. Being, I I I think Tina Fey is relishing trying to play as unlikable a character that she's ever even come come across. Okay, so. Uh, do you want to stay on the comedy track, or do you want to go dr- drama now? Uh, we let, let's. Uh, I'd like to finish the comedy category, Alex. For five hundred, I'll take comedy. Well, I guess technically there's two. Well, we'll, we'll save that one for last. So let's let's get to the one that which I know is one of your favorites, Reservation Dogs. Ooh. Let's do that one. So this would be the second season. Uh you guys were caught onto the show before I did, if I recall. Uh, you were you were a fan of it. Jamie was a fan of it. Um, probably other people were as well. Got me to finally check it out. Um, it's a. I loved the second season. In many, I don't. Do I like it better? I think they were emboldened by the success of season one. And they took more, even more chances with season two. And I think almost across the board, there's one a little, uh, could be a little iffy, but almost across the board, they succeeded. I, I thought they, they really, they, they went for it, I thought. Um, these kids are some of the best, that's some of the best child acting I've seen, period. It reminds me of watching like the first season of The Wire, where you see kids and you, it doesn't feel like they're acting. It feels like we're just watching these kids, and that's how I feel about the the, the main four, especially the main four kids. Although some of the other, there's other kids we see as well, um, and it's and I was I was impressed by how I was affected emotionally uh, in a number of episodes by them. Whether it be the episode with Cheese when he has to, when he's basically put in a um, not a foster home. It's before a foster. What, what, what do we call that? Like a juvenile, facility. like a group home. Group home. Thank you. I don't know. why I was drawing a blank on that. Um, or you know, uh, or or or, or uh, you know what? You know what I'm gonna say? The you know I keep talking about you know MVP for a season of a show. I know cheese is easy to be people's favorite because he makes his pop culture references and he seems to be more into him. That's not my MVP. For me, it's Willie Jack. I think she the actress. Let me credit the actress. Her name is Paulina Alexis, and I was not, I was expecting her to have a, a far more Native American sounding name than that. She is so good. Throughout this season, I can point to any number of episodes and scenes that she has that totally believable. I, I love I love her line readings. I love I love the expressions she gives. I love the pain. Well, I don't love it, but 
and obviously this show starts off with the fact you have these four people and and the impact of the death the the suicide of someone who, who, who there was actually used to be five of them and whether it would be with someone's best friend or someone's brother or cousin uh, there's always kind of fuzzy on relations sometimes on the show whatever or some or someone that you know may or may not have had been a, had a future relationship with whatever you want to call it um but the way she deals with that throughout the season was really something I thought. And there were a number of highlight episodes throughout the season. The, that group home one was one because, well, a lot of that was because they got Mark Marin on the show, which kind of like, what? <laughs> you know, um, there were others, you know, one can point, I'm sure some people love the episode that focused on the, uh, the reservation police officer. Um, same McLaren. Thank you. Uh, but, or the episode where they're all together. So, uh, with the, uh, in, in the, um, what do you call it? Oh, my God. Oh, the, the celebrating, like, it's like national native American or something, whatever. Oh yeah. I can't remember what it be. The final episode's amazing. That's one of the best final episodes of a, of a season of a season I've seen in a while. And if 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 you're if you're hooked into this show and you're not emotionally hit with that one pretty hard, but tears of happiness, then I don't know what's. I think there's something wrong with you. So I'll I'll stop. It's this is this was this was more this was more your baby than it was mine. But this is a great show, man. I was on this show pretty early, and it was unlike anything I'd seen uh, because it's shot, you know, realistically in and around the reservation in Oklahoma. And the way it looks, the unique characters, and the sense that um, the show really gives to the reservation uh, as a community. I think that like I don't think there's a show where y- there's a sense of community through every member of the extended cast and um it, it there's some really really touching moments but there's some really funny moments it's it's it, it has my heart this show has my heart it it won it early on and I will say it, we talked about this on uh, about television shows in the past oftentimes after a really successful first season a show breaks up the main cast in the second season and they have to go through a journey and arrive back together at the end of the season and a lot of times that fracturing of the main cast and that happened here they were together at times but not like a gang like they were in season one Um, that was a risk because that chemistry was so strong but the individual episodes and the breaking them up, this show did that as well as I've ever seen a show split a successful group with that kind of chemistry apart and tell individual stories and unite them in, dare I say, a fucking glorious ending. Glorious ending. Um, and so, I, I mean... I was so happy to hear it was renewed for season two. And now I just can't wait for season three. Uh, the, the pain that, that the two, Elora El- and bear go through, uh, 
this season. The, the, those two actors, wonderful. Cheese is cheese is like the rock. You know what you get from cheese. But right. Willie Jack was the heart of this season, and Willie Jack's the one that that brought it all home. Uh, but yeah, just if you if there's any show I would want you to listen to this and go watch, it's this show. This show has my heart, and it deserves all the credit in the world. I, I love it. I love these kids. I love that community. I, I just love this show. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I'm in the interest of time. I'm going to move to the next, uh, series on the docket here. Um, so <laughs> a slight change of tone. Uh, not the one you think I'm going to go with. Cause I'm, I just, I'm going to push that one to the last one. Uh, I'm going to go back in time for yet another show that I posted threads for but never got around to watching <laughs> until like about a few weeks ago. And that would be Under the Banner of Heaven. It's the show that starred Andrew Garfield. Um, this, this was uh, with the, <clears throat> the basically kind of a murder mystery with Mormons. <laughs> yeah. And the uh, one of the unexpected things about the show is Although they certainly could have just played it just as a straight murder mystery in you know in the Mormon community, whatever um, they kind of and 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 since this is based on a book, I'm assuming it's because they took these aspects from the book as well. Uh, but they could have just said, "No, we're not going to do that part." Um, they also interwove throughout the episodes um, the historic you know, back in history of things that happened with the Mormons back in the 19th century and how they were reflective of what, and then, and there's even like parallels to what's going on in modern day. And, and there, and there's callbacks to it because they're constantly referencing what happened in the past with the Mormons. And you probably are going to get a lot more and maybe a lot more negativity about the, the Mormon culture from a show like this. And maybe one got from say big love on HBO, which just seemed to be fascinated with the idea of people having sister wives. Um, I, it's a slow burn, but I don't mind a slow burn if I feel it's going to go somewhere. And if I'm taken with what you're giving me as far as either the story performance, etc. I think Andrew Garfield takes some chances and he's wonderful as the main character, Jeb, um, someone who is devout and then becomes conflicted. The further he pursues this case, it's fascinating to see how the, um, how much the Mormons in this society, in this area, impact the police force. Because you wouldn't expect that to be the case until you see what happens throughout these episodes. And like, oh, that's that's something I hadn't seen before, and I don't think I ever have seen that before. Um, I, if just to throw in a, a couple of the other performances, the person who plays his partner, uh, it's Gil Birmingham, plays Detective Taba. Look, it's one can say it's, there's, there's you're always going to have a cliche of you know two two cops who are partners who are very different because guess what every every two partners should be different from each other. But what's fascinating is by having a character who obviously come has a Native American background, they also have a therefore have a rich and interesting and decidedly violent 
uh, history to their background as well. And it actually ties into the Mormons of that, of that, of the 19th century as well. And I thought that was just a fascinating thing to have here. And I loved his performance. I just, I just, every time he was on screen, I enjoyed it. Um, and the two of them interacting with each other and the, the, the almost the teasing way they have about each other is really nice. Um, it's, again, it's a show I think that requires a little bit of patience. Um, it's, it's not a happy show, <laughs> nor, nor would you expect it to be. But by the end of it, I was like, okay, that was, that was really something. Garfield. I mean, Andrew Garfield has taken bigger and bigger swings in, with his career over the last several years. Um, and I ain't talking about Spider-Man. Um, and from what, from what I've also either seen or what I've actually heard about, um, he's become one of those top tier actors. When I heard about the series, I was actually, Andrew Garfield's doing a TV show? Really? Wow. Okay. It's, it's, re- it's really good. It's very good. It, it it is really good, and his his performance to not be like super macho man, to be uh, more of an everyman, and to to not shy away from his devoutness and his faith. Uh, I would think, and you know, I would think that it, that a Mormon would be very afraid of of this show being made, but seeing there was some balance that that there were really good Mormons in this show. There were really good people that, uh, you know, that weren't uh, for a lot of the things that the, you know, the group, the splinter group participates in that leads to the murder. And I thought the, the woman, and I, I don't have her name in front of me, the woman that played the, the murdered wife, I thought that actress really brought a, an energy and a joy to that role that made her story very tragic. Uh, so it, it's really great. Andrew Garfield is the focus of the show investigating it, but I agree with you. Uh, his, his partner seeing the two of them together or seeing Gil, you know, alone go up to that mountain to see the cabin. He, it, it was really good. It was a surprise. This is a show I didn't know much about, didn't anticipate, Checked it out because Andrew Garfield and he surpassed my expectations. I would give it a I would give it a strong recommendation. Absolutely. So, I believe there's going to be two more shows we're going to talk about before we start to wrap this up. So let's get to the first one, which is a show that's still on right now, has not finished its season yet, so we don't know how it's going to end. We know it's a limit. I'm pretty sure it's a limited series. It's only going to have one season. Because it would be really weird if they made this go on for more than one season. And that means I must must be clear to some of you. I'm talking about The Patient. This is a show that I think popped up on your radar. You saw the trailer for it before I did. Then you told me about it. Then I saw the trailer. I was like, okay, all right, I'm, I'm, I'm in. And I got to tell my friend because, you know, therapy and serial killers, she'll, she'll be there too. Well, well, maybe we'll watch this on Sundays together. No, we didn't be. We're watching it on our own. Um You've got Steve Carell as this therapist who's basically taken captive um, by a person who turns out to be a serial killer. That's played by the actor Donal Gleason. I looked up how to pronounce his name, and that's 
kind of sort of how it's pronounced. I probably still screwed it up. It's very similar to St. Donald, but you know, you know, it's not spelled that way. Um, it's, you've got these super brisk episodes. They're like 20 something minutes each. Um, it's, it's vaguely r- reminds me of what I was saying about, um, Andor, Andor. where it feels like, but it, there's a slight more of a sense of, oh, this is an end of an episode with this show than with Andor. But at the same time, could this be like a two and a half hour movie that you've cut up into these little sections? Yeah, it could be. Um, you know, it just, it, it, there's, there's a slight more of a sense of, the, of, of an episodic nature with this than Andor. Probably because the guys who were behind it know a little something about episodic television or, or conti- excuse me, serialized episodes of television. You know, the guys who did, um, the Americans and, and things like that. Um, but this show for me, it rises and falls on those two performances. I mean, that's what it is. We, we do have, you know, other people who show up like, you know, the character's mother who lives upstairs, which means she's as, about as baddie as Norman Bates' mom, as far as I'm concerned. Or when we reach into the, the thoughts and flashbacks of, uh, Steve Carell's family, or in more recent episodes, which I've really enjoyed, where he's having this, I don't know if it's a dream or whatever, where he's, I guess it is a dream, where he's imagining speaking to his own therapist, who's played by uh, David Allen Greer. I, I love those scenes, whatever. Um, you know, it. I feel like the show is an experiment. It feels like, can we tell a story like this in in a very different format than it's ever been tackled before? And it's not a binge show unless you decide to wait till it's all over, then watching. So you're going to have to wait once a week. And oh, that's right. We're going to make you wait once a week for an episode of TV, which is only 20 something minutes long, just like a comedy, except this ain't no comedy, <laughs> whatever. Um, I think for the most part, it's working. I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated by it because I've just, I've, I've not seen something like this before and there, I can see how it could test some people's patience because as a result of it, we become the Steve Carell character more often than not. I mean, it, it's almost a relief when we spend any time with, uh, is it, is it Sam? Um, yeah, Sam. Cause we, now, and, and that's, only, and that's only been recent. Only recently have we spent any time with him outside of that that room or that house where he, where he goes to see his his ex wife or, or whatever more recently, but generally speaking, most for ninety something percent of the time, we're stuck in that you know room with with Carell, and I think that can be bothersome to some people. They're like, oh god, here we go, whatever. I just find it fascinating they're doing that. I keep thinking about things which I shouldn't be thinking about. I keep thinking that room stinks <laughs> because you know I'm 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 obsessed with bathroom related activity and I'm realizing so he's got to use a and it's well it's just there then because then oh god. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is a show I watch weekly with my son. Which is odd that that this is the show that my son and I watch, but when the new episode comes out, usually you know we'll get our food and 
we'll come in here and that evening we'll eat and watch the show and and then have a brief discussion about it. Uh, it's it's like it, it's like a play in that it's in one place and it's really mainly has two characters with other characters dropping in and out. Um, and I agree with you. It's, it's experimental in nature. The component of it that, that has me most intrigued is that by the way it is, most dramas run an hour by only giving you the short pieces of it. I think has ramped it up for me and made me look more forward to it. I think if these episodes were an hour, it would be a slog maybe in yeah. a way that it's not with it, with it. It's a really interesting conceit to, to cut it in half or to make it episodic in a half hour because you're not used to seeing tense dramas run 30 minutes. Uh, so I've enjoyed that part of it. And let me say, I am totally here 100% for all of the Kenny Chesney slander in this show, <laughs> I support it. I am for it. And it is, it's the one bit of comedy in this very, very heavy show is that the serial killer is an obsessive Kenny Chesney fan. Uh, and, and boy, do they talk about it a lot. Uh, so, uh, but, but it is a very interesting show. Um, and you know, I pointed it out to you. The reason I thought I would share it with you when I found out about it is that, you know, the creators of the Americans did it and we were big fans of them and their work. And, um, they are really exploring a lot of issues about heritage, family, religion, um, in this small setting. And, and it, it it's, it's interesting it's probably a lot for some people, but, but I have, I've enjoyed it. I'm curious how he gets out of that room. Um, I think we all are, but, uh, and maybe he doesn't get out of that room. Who, who knows? Uh, you know, with, with, with those guys, <laughs> with those guys, you're not guaranteed a happy ending. Uh, but, but I think it, it is worth seeing and it is some of Carell's best work. Yeah. I mean, Steve Carell is often infinitely, watchable um and i've enjoyed him on this i've been trying to figure out if on one hand the, some of the flashback scenes where he's considerably younger part of me was like oh did they film those before he grew the beard because he has this thin beard now so we i kind of like steve girl with a beard but even without the beard i'm wondering did they use a little bit of makeup here did they do any kind of digital effects because he looks like he's as young as he did in the first season of The Office and some of those, because they, and they bounce around a little bit of time into some of those flashbacks as well. Um, but yeah, that that, that was a uh, him. I I think he did some of his best work in the more recent episodes, also. Um, yeah, definitely. Give, when he giving him a chance to go off on more of a, an extended monologue and and get more uh, upset and show more emotion, which he's been kind of repressing, um, has been interesting. There's been a lot of interesting choices throughout the, uh, these episodes, but, um, yeah, I'm very much enjoying it. So, um, and mine, you know, if it's not your cup of tea, uh, you know what, then there's other things to watch. Finally. So I had made a little tease on our Facebook page for a few people might've seen it that I was going to, Finally, talk about a show which I finally uh, checked out um, this week, 
and watched all 10, 10, 10, 10, 10, I think it was 10, 10 episodes, I think it was 10 episodes, yeah, I'm gonna say it's 10 episodes, um, and I didn't, now, I am addle-minded, perhaps, I don't recall ever, the show ever being mentioned on either uh, the page or podcast before, uh, I finally brought it up to Brian before we recorded, he seems to recall mentioning it at one time, so that's very possible, and I just probably forgot, sorry, I have really set him on Alzheimer's, I can't help it. The show I'm talking about is The Bear. I love this show. I, I, I wish I had watched it when it first came on, because we probably would have podcasted about it. It's the show that takes place at this shabby little sandwich uh, joint in Chicago. And uh, the guy who had been running it apparently had killed himself, and he left it to his brother and his will. Um, his brother had been kind of, you know, th- th- there had been a falling out between them, and his brother had become kind of not just a professional chef, but he was like a he was like a chef at like the, the greatest restaurant in the world in New York City, and blah blah blah. And now he's here in this, you know, this dirty little sandwich place, and he's going to try to do something with it. He's going to try to make it into something more. And around the time that he comes in, he also hires this other uh, young woman who has aspirate, who has major chef aspirations herself, and is also an admirer of his uh, skills and ability or whatever. And there are a number of other characters in that kitchen, um, each of, each of whom we either we get into their backstories or not they feel, they instantly feel lived in to me. Um, another person I, who's a major player on the show, um, is someone who's maybe wasn't the, the person who committed suicide, his best friend who, uh, was a major part of the restaurant. And that actor, did I write down his name? I did not write down his name too bad. Um, it's funny cause he's also on the, uh, Andor. <laughs> recognize him there. I was wondering if he was going to do the same accent. Um, and then there's a number of other uh, actors who appear in recurring parts. You, like, you know, whether it be Oliver Platt or um, uh, the actress who plays his sister, who I remember as a comedic performer from before. I didn't write down her name either. Uh, the only name I can remember from the show is Jeremy Allen White, who plays the main character, Carmen or Carmi. Um, if this guy does not have an Emmy nomination next year, uh, I guess the show falls under the comedy category. It's definitely one of those shows where um, I don't know if it's all that funny, but it's it it it's some of the most compelling TV work I've ever seen, or at least seen in years. Uh, I love it because it's different. I'm seeing something that I haven't necessarily seen before in a, in a TV show. You know, I know there's reality shows that deal with cooking, uh, and there probably have been uh, either comedy or dramas, but, but you know what? I haven't seen them. Um, I know there's been movies like that, and I've, I have seen a few of those, oh, Big Night or something. Uh, but this is different. There's a grittiness to this show. It's 
it, 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 it reminds me, it's got little aspects of everything from the Sopranos to Rescue Me, you know, all, all these kind of like very lived in, very urb, urbanized characters, um, that are, and they're dealing with pain and they're dealing with desperation and they're also dealing with their love of food. Um, seeing the way food is talked about and photographed and it tell you something you should eat a full meal before you watch this show because you uh, there's a lot of shows you watch that you lose your appetite during this is a show you're going to watch you're going to want to eat something i don't know maybe uh, i haven't seen it yet but maybe watch this back to back with Dahmer or something <laughs> maybe that'll do the job <laughs> but um I, I have recently recommended this to some people who haven't seen it, so I'm I'm loath to, to say anything which is going to spoil anything. I don't think I've said anything like that. I don't think I will. I don't think so. I won't reveal anything that happens in the final episode um, or anything like that. But there's an episode before that final episode where you might not realize until it's over. Wait a minute, was that entire episode like pretty pretty much like one camera movement? Did, was that entire episode in real time? Yeah. And it's, and when you think about how difficult that episode was to do and how powerful that episode is, it's also why I, I'm reluctant to call the show a comedy because there's nothing funny in that episode at all. It's some of the heaviest drama I've seen. When you're dealing with a very heavy subject matter, and it's funny that it's, in, it's funny and interesting that the, Two of the best shows that are on right now. They're both on Hulu. They both fall under the comedy category, though. This one more so than the other one. Doesn't really feel quite like a comedy more often than not. And one of the main components of the show is that they revolve around characters dealing with the suicide of someone that was close to them. As Reservation Dogs, we mentioned that before. And that's the case with this show as well. Um... But there, there's just, there's some really powerful scenes throughout the show. There's so much I love about this show. Everything from, and, and I don't want to step on everything because I know you, it turns out you have seen it, Brian, and I know you probably, I don't want to step on something you're going to mention. One thing I know you want to mention, I'll leave it for you, even though I could, you know, because that's more your, uh, coup d'etat, whatever. That's not even a word at all, whatever. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. I, I just, I was shocked by how much I liked this show. Uh, it's, I, 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 spoiler. It's going to be uh, at the very, I want to say right now, unless, unless there's a bunch of things happen the rest of this year that I'm not expecting. If it's not my number one show, it's going to be in my top three. It might be number two. I don't know. I know there's a certain lawyer show which might, might, might have its, might have a firm grip on number one. I don't think anyone's, Look, anyone who listens to this podcast, everyone thinks Better Call Saul is going to be our favorite show of the season, of the year. I, I don't know how, I, I don't know any way around that. This, for me, this might be number two. It, it might be between this and Peacemaker, I'm going to tell you that right now. <laughs> it's going to be a great fucking list either way. I, I, I love this show and, uh, it, it, this is like the little show that that grew and grew. Uh, it came out with little fanfare, 
Um, watching it, I don't think I've ever been simultaneously delighted to look at food and think, oh my God, like, like the care with those mashed potatoes. I just want to taste them. But at the same time, be on the edge of my seat with tension created in a kitchen. Like we've got a deadline. We have to do this. It really takes you in the kitchen in a way that, that, that's the main setting. And in in one of the curious things about this show that I didn't think about till it was almost over is how little time we spend in the personal lives of these people outside of that restaurant, but it's all about their personal lives inside the restaurant and how that comes to bear on them and their relationships. And, um, it it is it's a pressure cooker uh, with a great great storyline that resolves in a very uh, interesting way, and we'll leave it at that. As Scott said, we don't want to we don't want to spoil anyone. Um, but I love the the chef who wants to learn. You know, you see him as the burned out cynic, her as the wide eyed optimist. You know, coming in with her uh, head in the clouds, but having some good ideas. And I, I think the relationship of people in pressure, both in power learning, it's very real. It doesn't shy away from making this very realistic, but there's little hints and flourishes of people's lives outside the restaurant that creep their way into the story, uh, that make the characters very real. And, uh, you know, who would have thought a show about a restaurant would you know, spur interest in Italian beef sandwiches and uh, and maybe be the most compelling drama uh, that, shall we say, uh, networkish TV has done in a while. Um, you know, FX sort of being a a a closely related cousin of network TV more so than the other streaming services and things. But, uh, but, but what a star making, you know, role for, for the main character. Was it Jeremy white? Yeah. Jeremy Allen white. Um, just, just, I mean, probably since, uh, uh, Jeremy, whatever method man of succession, um, Probably, probably like the most intense uh, star-making performance by an actor on a TV show since since him. Jeremy uh, Strong, yeah, absolutely. yeah, Jeremy Strong. Yeah, it, it it's just, I mean, there's a scene in the. Hmm, all right, something like a spoiler. Um, I think it's the final episode. And, you know, it's also, it's, a, it's an actor's dream kind of a scene. It's a monologue. I'll just describe it as, it's a monologue, it's just him speaking. And it's very long. It's one of those things where I actually looked when it was over, I, you know, paused the, uh, the, um, the remote control, whatever you call it, and I see where I was in the episode, and I was, wow, that was a, I knew that felt, lo- that was a long monologue. You don't usually have that in the show. It was, it was, it was several minutes long. And it was dynamite. It was like, okay, that's, is that what you're sending to the Emmy committee? Because it could be. But then again, there's like at least three or four other episodes that you could have used for that. Um, it's interesting how when 
so much of the episodes take place in that kitchen, and whenever you're in the kitchen, everything feels like it's it's the pacing is pulse pounding. It's you know it's it, it's it, the camera is constantly it, it's moving. It's, there's a constant activity. When we leave the kitchen, it's almost like a respite. It's almost like oh now now we have a chance to take a breath. Now when we actually see a character in their home, and it's only and it only happens a few times. It's giving us a respite from it, and it makes you realize what that life is like, what he, what it, what they're trying to do there. It's, I'm just, yeah. You didn't mention so now since like, we are both fans of also the way they use music on that. Show. Oh yes, yeah. sorry, sorry, I forgot that. Yeah, not a problem. I just I thought I'd leave you. I mean, I had mentioned to you before, like, hey, I think it's the very first episode of the, 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 the end credits that they use uh, Pearl Jam's Animal, which is one of my favorite Pearl Jam songs. I'm like, oh, Animal, whatever. And then there's a number of other interesting musical choices that they use throughout the season. Um, it's just, it's just a show that kind of has a, it pulsates. I, I don't know how else to describe it. There's something that just has a has a, a vitality and a life to it um, that I don't see with a lot of even shows I like don't feel that way to me. Um, and I and I'll, I'll end it with this. And this is the, again the mark of a good. You can't get a better mark of a good show. This when you wish there were more episodes. I wish there had been more episodes. And I was like, oh, no, it's over? No. I, won't, I, won't. I mean, it's a great ending to the season, but I would have liked another two episodes, maybe, maybe two. And how many shows yeah. did we ever say that about? You know? Yeah, and, I, and I, earlier when you said this, I forgot. It, it, it only had eight episodes for the first season, but I did want more. And the music, you know, uh, one of the things I like, too, is being a Chicago show. You know, they did use Wilco. They did use a Chicago band. Um, a lot of the shoot, a lot of the shots of buildings and stuff under the L trains. It feels like if I was from Chicago, I, I wonder if people there feel like you feel about only murders in the building. If like this is their show and they get it, it'd be curious to know that. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's pulse pounding and. Uh, Lot, lot of, lot of drama packed into a, a tight, tight season. If you watch it, you'll be hungry and you'll want more. Exactly. And it's not even about Chinese food. Anyway, so. <laughs> All right. On that, I am going to start the wrapping up process because I think we just, I think we crossed over the two-hour uh, line a few minutes ago. So let me get to this. Get- can I make two quick recommendations like in under a minute? Of course you can. Okay. Hulu, continue to watch Atlanta. It's worth it. Mm. Awesome. And finally, the the show that surprised me, the Welcome to Wrexham documentary about the Wrexham Football Club uh, with Michael Henney and Ryan Reynolds has really turned out from being, you know, sort of star driven to to people driven of the town and the and the football team. And it's really been surprising, and I look forward to it each week and enjoy it. So check that out. I've not checked that out as of late, even though I feel like I've seen the ad for it a billion times because I'm watching other Hulu or FX-related shows. Um, 
I, I wish we had a. I wish I wish we had a sh- uh, more time in the podcast because uh, Atlanta might have merited a conversation. Because I'm not I'm not sure how I feel about Atlanta right now, but we'll, we can talk about that another time. I, I don't mean to. I'm not trying to take away from your recommendation at all. It, one should watch it and make up their minds for themselves. But it's interesting. We'll, we'll leave it at that. All right. Speaking of interesting, if you found this podcast interesting, I mean, if you liked it, guess what? You'll like hanging out on our Facebook page as well. It's the Serious TV Drama Podcast page. Like the page and join the conversation about shows like all the ones we just mentioned and so many more. Now, where can you find us? Well, you already did find us, and you can find us on Spotify and Amazon Music. But better yet, you can just go to stvdpodcast.podbean.com, and you can find all 364. God episodes. Hey, if we do one more, we'll have one for every day of the year. Anyway, you can be one of the very few people who bother to follow us on Instagram. You know you know what? I didn't even post the last podcast there. That's how much I don't care anymore. Uh, <laughs> we're serious TV drama is one word there. Better yet, follow us on Twitter. I've, I've, I've actually used our Twitter account to comment on a few things recently. You won't know unless you're following us. Our handle there is at STVD Podcast. It's STVD as in serious TV drama. Oh, by the way, you can also email us. One person did once. It's stvdpodcast at gmail.com. Um, before I end completely end the podcast, I know we're in our failing minutes here. Failing minutes? What the hell does that mean? Uh, I mentioned towards the end of the previous podcast a little bit about the new podcasting venture that I am embarking on. Um, It's going to be this month. Um, That is still happening. Uh, I've actually been speaking to a number of people who have all agreed to to join my lineup of rotating co-hosts. Um, again, this is the one that's going to be, the podcast is going to be called Scott Forgot the 80s. There is a Facebook page for it. I have not sent an invite out to anybody, so there's no members on it as of yet. There is a Twitter account <laughs> for Scott Forgot the 80s. I've not <laughs> sent that out to anybody either, so it's got one follower, me. Uh, but hopefully in the coming week, um, that will change because I will start inviting people to the page and to follow that account. Um, I want to do this right as I'm doing it all from scratch. And hopefully at some point in fairly soon, I will record what I call a little podcast zero, maybe a 15, 20 minute podcast. Yes, that is possible. Believe it or not. The guy who just did a two hour something podcast can do a 15 minute one too, just as a primer for what the podcast will be. And that way that'll eliminate me ever saying that on a future podcast there. But I already have the hosts lined up for the first uh, two actual episodes. I have the movies lined up for what I believe the first three or four will be. And everything from that point on, well, we'll, we'll see. Um, I'm very excited about it. And shockingly, almost all the people that I invited to do it all seem to be enthusiastic and excited about doing it as well. So it's it, it's going to be something I hope people will um, will be checking it out. So there you go. And maybe I'll pop in and visit the uh, the eighties with you there at some point, Scott. Maybe you know I don't know. <laughs> I, see, I, I saw Q and A, so I can't do that one. <laughs> And legal eagles, I didn't see, but the, the people wanting. Although it's got the Reitman thing, I got We'll see. <laughs> anyway, 
I want to, Brian, thanks for joining me on, actually, you know what, you can join me on that podcast Zero Things. I, I, if I'm just talking about myself, everyone's going to think, oh, it's going to be Scott doing another solo fucking thing. It's like, no, 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 trust me. The, it, they will they will be equally balanced. I, I will endeavor for that. Trust me. Trust me. <laughs> trust me. Trust me. But the podcast zero one won't be. But all the other ones won't be. <laughs> there you go. It's not much of a promise. <laughs> all right, all right. So uh Brian, thanks for spending your Friday night talking to me and talking about TV. Um yeah, I have nothing else to say. Well, thanks for listening. Um, go check out some great shows. You, we've given you lots of options. Um, you know, you don't have to like everything, but surely you'll find something you like among the things we talked about. So have a great uh, October, and we'll talk to you soon. What he said. Mm-hmm.